What's going on, guys? So in this episode of the podcast, I want to just basically kind of have a little brush up on all of the current events going on and just kind of give my take on them. So we'll start with what just happened a few minutes ago in uh, with the Minnesota Vikings trading Yannick Ngakwe to the Baltimore Ravens. So first off, um, I just the player of Yannick Ngakwe going to that Baltimore Raven defense and, and to complement the, what they've got already in place over there, plus how he fits. I like all that stuff. Like, um, I believe it was maybe before the NFL draft or something like that. I came out with as uh, the Ravens as one of my top destinations for Yannick if the Jaguars were to trade him at that point. So um, I liked the idea of just pairing him with Calais Campbell and um, really giving the Ravens the one thing their defense doesn't have, which is a legitimate edge rusher um, to complement what they have on the interior. I mean, they have Matt Judon, so I don't want to be I don't want to sound disrespectful, but um, I guess what I mean is someone that can consistently win the one on ones. Judon is a very good football player, so don't don't take this the wrong way. And I know Ravens fans are kind of hard on him for whatever reason, but. Um, I think he's a really good player, but I but I think that Yannick, if you get the best version of Yannick, I think he's a little bit better. And I also think that the compensation, obviously, to some people, when they look at this compensation, they're going to think like, this is a complete ripoff. Like, why would the Vikings do this? Well, you have to remember the Vikings didn't give up a ton for him. If I recall, the Vikings gave up like, a third and a fifth or something like something of that nature. So essentially they will be getting back what they gave up and they're going to also save some cap space right away because um, his money wasn't like it, it was no signing bonus or anything like that. It was just mainly base salary. For, I'm pretty certain about that. Um, so it was pretty much all base salary. And uh, so they're just going to like basically alleviate that from their books from here on out. So how base salary is paid out, it's in increments of one seventeenth throughout the regular season. And then if you make the playoffs, you get that that much extra money. So if you have a base salary of, you know, $10 million, it's 10 million divided by 17 is what you're going to get all season long. So if you are to be traded, um, you know, at week six, week seven, or whatever, then you basically just stop getting paid from one team and you get that money from the other team. So how it affects the Vikings is they will save, you know, those increments of pay um, for the rest of the season. So that that works for them, especially a team that's cap strapped and they'll be able to just basically move that money to next year's cap. So you can go ahead and add on whatever that is, you know, to the 2021 Vikings cap, which I know this much um, they don't have a ton of money. So that's, Cool. And if you look at this move for the Baltimore Ravens, it makes sense because obviously they could have used a another pass rusher. Right. And overall, when you look at their their pressure rate, they're up to second in the NFL now. But if you remember, if you've been listening to this podcast in particular, if you remember, you will you will um, you will have heard me talking about how they weren't getting a ton of pressure. They were blitzing a lot, but their pressure rate was actually fairly low. And that I'm certain is is uh, something that the the Baltimore Ravens brass was considering. Like, hey, we're not getting a ton of pressure, and we're having to blitz. So this, what this really shows me is that they definitely learned something from that Chiefs game because every time you blitz Patrick Mahomes, especially if you're going to blitz him as often as they did, and you're just going to be like, we'll get home, like 
because I understand you have to pressure him, right? Everybody wants to, you don't want Patrick Mahomes sitting back there being able to just be comfortable and pick your defense apart because he definitely will do that. But you also do not want to blitz, uh, have to rely on blitzing to get pressure on Pat because what we've seen, especially this season, is that that's almost what he prefers because then he can just break contain roll out and it turns into backyard football and 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 I don't mean this to sound disrespectful to Pat Mahomes but in that regard or from that standpoint you just it takes away the thinking of it right and it just allows Pat to play free and have fun so you better believe the Baltimore Ravens are looking at that game film of how they got beat up by that Chiefs offense and they're thinking if we play them again can we win right and and maybe they didn't like how that that looked so maybe they're like when we play them next time we need an improved pass rush and we also need to blitz less often and what's the best you know remedy for that to go with that strategy is to go ahead and get yourself another legitimate edge rusher um who who's familiar with Clayus Campbell right and and so that that kind of continuity will be will be important to some level and it just it gives Judon some help at the bookend edge rusher spot. So I think it's just a awesome move. And when you look at the compensation they gave up, they give up a third rounder um, next year and a, I think it was a uh, contingent fifth round pick or whatever, or maybe it wasn't even that. Maybe it was just a contingent pick for the following year. And that makes sense. That's basically like saying, look, if we sign Yannick to an extension, you'll get, an additional pick from us uh, the following year. And if we don't, then you don't get anything except for that third rounder. And we know that most likely if Yannick goes and says, if Yannick has a decent year with the Ravens and then he goes and signs a, a deal for like, you know, 15 to 20 million, which is basically what he's going to be worth at 15 on the low end of that, that's going to be enough to net Baltimore back a third rounder the following season. So it's like basically the Ravens will give up a, and this is kind of the worst case scenario for Baltimore. Let's say, you know, you bring Yannick in, he plays well, but you're not, you don't want to resign him, right? You're like, yeah, he's all right, but we're not going to resign him or he doesn't play that well at all, whatever. So you, you decide we don't want to resign him. So you let him walk the next year. And that means you only give up a third round pick in, in the next year's draft for him. And then you'll most likely like 80% likely to get a third round pick in 2022. So you basically just give yourself an extra third round pick next year. I mean the, the year after next year, and then you give up one in 2021. So it's not really a bad thing. Like in worst case scenario, best case scenario is he plays out of his mind, similar to what happened with Marcus Peters and you pay him uh, if you can. And, and now you've got, or, or you basically can make the decision of if you want to pay him or Judon, you know, assuming that Judon won't, you can't get both of them signed. So um, overall, I just think that's a really good move for the Ravens. They are most certainly a win now team. And what do we always see with teams that have a quarterback on a rookie contract? That's clearly the guy, right? Like Lamar Jackson is, is clearly the quarterback of the future for the Baltimore Ravens. So while you have him on a rookie contract, go ahead and, and surround him with as much talent as possible. Like, honestly, 
who cares about a third round pick? I say this all the time, and I know it goes against kind of conventional wisdom, especially of today's NFL, today's front office, and what fans prefer from their front office. Like we all, as fans, we all want these, you know, oh, give me like eight third rounders, and we'll just, it'll be so much fun during the draft and, and during training camp. We can hear about how great these third round picks look and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, like those third round picks have, about a 30% chance to become starting NFL players, right? So I'm not saying you should always just give away your third rounders for nothing and that they don't matter at all. But what I am saying is when you can get a guy like Yannick Ngakwe for a third rounder at this stage of the game, when you only have to pay basically half of his salary, hey, that makes a whole lot of sense because if you get the best version of Yannick, you are not going to miss that third round pick at all, right? And you're going to happily give away whatever the pick would be the following year as well, um, assuming you re-sign him. But if you if you don't get much out of him, like you, what you don't lose anything. It doesn't make your it definitely doesn't make your team worse, right? Because you have another player. Like it just it doesn't, there's no world that it makes your team worse. So like I said, worst case scenario is he doesn't play phenomenally well and you basically get your third round pick back one year later. Best case scenario is you have one of the best bookend edge rushing tandems in the NFL, and it makes you a whole lot more equipped to take on Patrick Mahomes uh, the next time you probably will face him is in the playoffs. So all the marbles are going to be on the line for that one. And and now you should, at least on paper, you'll be better equipped to, to face him and to actually pressure him without blitzing all the time. So next thing I want to talk about, guys, is uh, the – the decision from the Miami Dolphins to start Tua Tagovailoa after their bye week. So, um, so my my thoughts on this really are kind of simple. Like I, I'm I'm really an old school thinker in many ways, and just the way I think about this is, um, like obviously Ryan Fitzpatrick has been playing relatively well. I mean, you got to think the Miami Dolphins have won three out of their last four games and they're second in the division right now so the thing that you have to look at is there are there are i promise you right now veteran players in that miami dolphins locker room that are sitting there looking at this at this uh decision and they're thinking well yeah we know tua is obviously the guy for the future you know he drafted him top five overall like we get that but fitz is playing well and he's he's led us to win three or four games and the only game we lost in that stretch was against the Seattle Seahawks where we only lost by one one score you know what I mean so that is very interesting and and the reason I bring up the veteran players is because that's the only way you can lose a locker room right if there's a guy who's on a excuse me if there's a guy that's on like a you know he has one year left on his contract and he's 28 to 30 years old like the last thing he wants, or even if he's older, if there are any of those older players on that on that Dolphins team, um, the last thing they want is to kind of like to to not make the playoffs, right? Like this team is good enough to make the playoffs. They're the best third down defense in the NFL. They are scoring points on offense. They have a nice young wide receiver tandem in Devontae Parker and Preston Smith, and they have a nice rotational uh, depth at the running back position with Miles Gaskin, Matt Breida, Jordan Howard. Like they, they have some real pieces, a nice young tight end and Gasecki, and, and even Shaheen and the other guy are playing well. Um, you know, and they've, like I said, most importantly, they've won three or four games. 
So my thing is, when you look at Tua Tagovailoa, and obviously he is, a, you know, a, a promising young prospect. But when you look at him, the one thing that concerns you is his injury history with this Dolphins offensive line that hasn't necessarily been great. Okay, Ryan Fitzpatrick was sacked only one every 19.7 pass attempts, which is phenomenal, right? But we have to also accredit a lot of that to the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick is so, you know, he's a smart, this guy went to Harvard and he's a veteran, veteran player. So he gets rid of the ball. Like for example, um, when he was playing in 2018 for the Buccaneers, Fitz was sacked one every 18.4 pass attempts over those first four games. Remember he was on fire and when Jameis came in over his first four games, he was sacked one every 11. So, again, that went from one every 18 and a half pass attempts to one every, bleh, to one every 11 and a half pass attempts behind the exact same offensive line. And Tua is used to an elite offensive line. Like, he is used to being able to just sit back there and basically throw to sit back there behind an offensive line that has a, a pretty much all NFL players across the board as a starters, and then sit there and look to throw to any of his first round receivers that he feels like throwing to. So it's like to go from that to, um, to basically a fair situation, right? In the NFL where it's like, everybody is an NFL caliber player, everybody on, on the other side of the ball and everybody on your side of the ball. Like there is no more stacked deck. You know what I mean? That's that's not how it works in the NFL. There is no super team ever in this league because the talent is so close. And even when you get a bunch of star players on one team, it's tough to like make that all gel in the in the proper way to win football games on a week to week basis. So the the risk, I believe the risk of putting Tua in right now is what if Tua is is not necessarily ready for this kind of a challenge right and and the last thing you'd want to do is get him hurt you know also one more note on this Dolphins offensive line their their running game is only averaging 3.8 yards a carry which is 26th in the NFL so it's not like Tua has this incredible support where he can lean on the run game and you know they're already not running the ball well and that's with Fitzpatrick you know so now when you put in a rookie quarterback um a guy that I mean, pretty much hasn't been getting a ton of first team reps, right? And it's just to me, this feels like this feels like the coaching staff had had a plan from before the season started where they were just like, hey, you know, right, what about what do you think after the bye week we'll, we'll throw Tua in, right? And just kind of like that was the plan. But I think that if that was the case, you have to be willing to make the adjustment of like, hey man why don't we just relax right now and let Fitzpatrick keep playing? Because we're three and three. We've won three of four games. We're second in the AFC East. Uh, I mean, we're ahead of the Patriots for crying out loud. And like, let's just let Fitz keep going and, until he gives us the reason to put Tua in. You know, that that to me seems like a more logical way of going about it. But um I just and, and just the, the when I get when I bring up the injury history of Tua and I bring up the fact that he's not playing with a stacked deck offensive line, you have to consider he got injured several times at Alabama and they literally were light years ahead of 90 percent of the opponents they played in terms of offensive line and wide receiver talent 
and running back talent for Tua to work with where, you know, he had, he was in a significant place of advantage there. So that part of it um, kind of concerns me. And, but when I look at it from the positives, right. And I think like, okay, what if this works out extremely well? And what if, you know, Tua comes out and plays better than Fitz and he's not turning the ball over because Fitz was, I think he was seven interceptions, which is definitely amongst the most in the NFL. So, I mean, that just fits for you, though, right? He's just one of those kind of guys. But uh, it will definitely keep defenses off balance. I think best case scenario of this Tua thing means that he kind of has that Colin Kaepernick when he replaced Alex Smith over the final end of that season for the 49ers where defenses did not know how to game plan for him, right? And it took them a long time to catch up because of all the different skill sets he brought to the table that Alex Smith didn't bring. Like Kaepernick had a much bigger arm, right? Like Alex Smith is the guy that's going to dink and dunk you to death and Kaepernick's the exact opposite where he wants to th- launch those missiles down the football field, right? So that, and and Tua's not, doesn't have that arm. That's not where I'm going with this. But what I am saying is uh, he just has a different skill set, and it makes it, it could make this offense a much more unpredictable unit, right? Like if he if he starts rolling out on the you know and doing a lot of boot action and things like that, that's different. So um, that's kind of a skill set that that uh, Fitzpatrick doesn't have. So there is a world where this Tua thing works out phenomenally well, and it just like it gives them just enough of an edge from here on to where they're a little bit more difficult to game plan for and, um, you know, things like that. So that part of it could make sense. And hey, Tua does have weapons, right? These guys, it's not the same advantageous, uh, you know, situation that he had in college where literally all of his players are NFL guys, whereas 80% of the people they're playing against are not. Um, It's not that, but Devontae Parker, Mike Kosicki, Preston Williams, you know, in, in the stable of running backs they have is a solid group. And, you know, it's it's a group that guys that can win one on one. Right. You can throw it up to Devontae Parker when in doubt, just toss it up to Parker and see what happens. Right. Like he, he can bail you out of some situations because he can make some big time catches and things like that. So um, I think that overall with with that, you know, with the situation, could it work out? Yeah, it definitely could. Um and I think that, it, you know, and what it also does, I saw this on Twitter the other day, I think for Jordan Reed, not the not the football player, this guy's just a, uh, he's a draft analyst for the Draft Network. I saw him say that this allows the, uh, I'm sorry, the Dolphins, the opportunity to basically get a look at what they have in Tua and get a look at, you know, maybe even his stability from an injury prone side of things. And then because they're sitting here right now and they own two first round picks, one of which belongs to the Houston Texans, which at this point might be a top five pick, right? So it gives them a chance to kind of look and see what they have in Tua and and then determine if if they want to um, basically stick with him. And I know that might sound crazy to some people, but in my opinion, at this stage of the game, if, like, if they put Tua in and he just, let's just say he's awful, right? Like he just looks terrible. Well, if you end up having the fifth overall pick because of the Houston Texans trade, I mean, what, and you, let's say you also love one of these other quarterbacks. Like, 
I don't think it's crazy to just take one, right? And, and it doesn't mean that, you know, like, oh, wow, you gave up on Tua. Like, you guys suck. You're not good drafters and this, that, and the other. It just means like, hey, it worked out well for the Cardinals so far, right? Like, Josh Rosen wasn't the guy. Boom, pull the plug. Now, do I think that that's a fair thing for Tua? No. But do I think that the NFL is fair? No, I, don't, I really don't. Like, I think that you have to always keep a team first what's best for the team kind of mindset at all times right like if we wind up in so let's say we wind up in a position to take i say we like i'm a dolphins fan but let's say they end up in a position to take trevor lawrence like and tua you know is like yeah he's okay right he has a decent rookie season we finish eight and eight so therefore he was a 500 quarterback as a rookie so it's nice it's looking promising but now we have a chance to get trevor lawrence I think you just take Trevor Lawrence at that point, right? So that is also another, you know, just another way to look at this. And just like when you have another 10 games left on the schedule um, and potentially even playoffs after that, you, you have a 10 game sample size to see what you've got with Tua, right? And if he comes out and he gets hurt right away off of something that you, that's not even like a big hit or something like that because to me he looks really small and i do not want him to get hurt you know knock on wood for him but like um I, you know it just it opens up some some avenues to look at things a certain way right like if you know if you're sitting on the, on the board at let's say the third overall pick with houston and you've got your pick at any any quarterback not named trevor lawrence it, it gives you an ability to just weigh out those options i think and and that's all you can really ask for, um, especially with a team like Miami, that's a really good team, and maybe they are just a legitimate quarterback away. So overall, I'm, I'm not trying to say that they want to get rid of Tua <laughs> before he even plays a game. I'm just saying that this allows them to immediately see what they have, and, and it gives them potentially a good enough sample size, right? But <clears throat> I think that the one thing you have to be wary of, like I was saying, is just like what this means to veterans. If he comes in and loses three straight games or something like that, the veteran players on this team are going are going to be pissed off. They're not going to be happy, right? That they're not they they're going to want Fitz back in there because they were winning with Fitz. Three out of four in the NFL, man. That's that's I don't care who they played. I don't, I don't even know who they played. Oh, they went into the defending NFC champions house and beat them forty four to sixteen or something like that. Like, and that was by with Fitz. They went in and, uh, I mean, they smoked the Jets. They almost beat the Seahawks. And then they they also um, beat the, I mean, they shut out, yeah, shut out the Jets. So anyways, I think that's just mainly the biggest risk is if you take him out and now you also heap this little bit of, um, a little bit of pressure onto his shoulders where like he goes in and, and has a was he was like two of two for 10 yards in that game against the Jets. And that's I'm not you know, he shouldn't be statistically great in that game because he, he didn't play during a meaningful time. But it's like if you uh, if he comes in and and doesn't play well, it's there's that's a lot of pressure that's that could negatively impact him moving forward. Um, just because it's not a like, hey, kid, get in there and play out of nowhere like Justin Herbert was. It's a we're going to give him two weeks to think about this, you know what I mean? And, and two weeks to get the fan base hyped up because we have a bye week. And like if I were them, I would have announced this to my team privately, like, you know, pretty much right away. And then I would have announced this publicly maybe 
two days before kickoff, three days before kickoff, you know, just kind of throw it out there to where it's less predictable. You know, now you're going to have literally Dolphins beat writers and, and Dolphins fan base talking about they can't wait to watch Tua and, and the expectations will just continue to rise from here until kickoff, which is, you know, two weeks away from when they made this decision. So, because uh, they have a bye week this week. So that's just some things I, you know, just how I view it. And I'm interested in seeing how this all works out. I'm rooting for Tua. He's a really good kid, it looks like. And, and uh, you know, I just, I, I'm rooting for him. But I, I am worried about the injury history. It was just a year ago, I believe, that this injury occurred, uh, the most recent one. And, you know, I'm nervous. So if I were a Dolphins fan, I'd be extra nervous, but also excited because, hey, screw it, right? Let's see what we've got with the young kid. Let's see what happens this year. I mean, hey, what if Tua takes him to the playoffs and they they end up getting to like the divisional round or AFC championship game? Then you're looking at a team that has two first round picks and they have their franchise quarterback in that case, right? So now we've got our franchise quarterback. We, we've got a bunch of picks. Like we are a Super Bowl contender in 2021. And that would be an awesome situation for the Miami Dolphins. And I hope it works out that way because I love Brian Flores. I liked Tua as a prospect coming out. And I really like what they're building in Miami. It's just the way this is happening makes me a bit nervous. But hey, if it works out, oh my goodness, it's going to pay off huge dividends for this fan base. And people are going to be excited in Miami. So I'm rooting for you guys. And uh, yeah, let's go Tua.